0: All right, so we've been doing a series called Unstoppable, and it is a series on the Holy Spirit, and as we've been going, I'm hoping you're starting to see why we're calling this series Unstoppable, because the Spirit has been at work since creation, and it is at work right now, and is going to continue His work for all of eternity, and we just get to go along for the ride. But the way we're kind of trying to attack this idea, this series on the Holy Spirit, is trying to view the Scripture like a giant tapestry, where a tapestry has this beautiful picture. And if we look at the Scripture, we have this this big picture, this big story of Scripture. But just like a tapestry is made up of hundreds of threads, so the story of Scripture is made up of hundreds and threads. And what we are doing at the moment is we're starting on one side and we're starting to look at those threads that concern the Holy Spirit. And we're following the way through from creation through the Old Testament. We're starting to get into the New Testament. And we're seeing how these threads tell the story of Scripture. What we're trying not to do, especially if you're joining us for the first time today, we're trying not to say, oh, I know all about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament and then import all of our ideas here. Rather, what we're doing is we're wanting to grow with the story and almost try and relearn how God chose to reveal Himself in the story of Scripture. You see, one of the problems that maybe you faced I think it's a good problem. Some of you think it's a bad problem. Is the way God has chosen to reveal Himself to us and reveal His truths to us, is that He didn't give us a textbook. He didn't give us, some of you may have studied theology, a systematic theology textbook where you find the chapter on the Holy Spirit and then you read about the Holy Spirit. That is not the Bible God gave us. Now those books are of great value, but God chose to reveal Himself in a different way. In fact, the big story is exactly that. God chose to reveal Himself in story. And story is incredibly powerful. You see, you could just get a few data points. For example, I know some of you, when you were in high school and you had to study a movie or you had to study a book, some of you only studied the summaries, right? But it is very different to actually journey with the story because story is organic. And while we do receive truths, while we do receive, for want of a better term, data, it is something we immerse ourselves into and we see where the story goes. And story is never linear. It is never straightforward. There are always kind of like, where's this going and, and what's going on here? And, and tensions get developed and character grows. And, and sometimes we're kind of left wondering exactly who is this character? What's going on? For example, a number of years ago, Bianca and I were watching a series on uh, a bomber in the United States who killed a number of people, and he was known as the Unabomber. And of course, the FBI was on an all-out manhunt for the Unabomber. Turns out this guy was just off the charts intelligence. And so the first few episodes were just telling the story of kind of the consequences of what he had done and how the FBI were trying to gather all this data together so they could find this guy. But the second last episode told his story and how he had turned out and why he had turned out the way that he had. Turns out that not only was he off the, the charts intelligence and he had some sort of political manifesto going on in his mind, But he had also been subjected to years and years of brutal psychological trials. And you start to see why this guy landed up in the place that he was. To the point where I was asking myself, if I was him, would I have reacted any differently because of how his brain just literally got fried? And then the final episode just resulted in his capture and uh, him going to jail and so on and so forth. But the point is this. You're saying, Stephen, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Why are we talking about murderers here? The point is, when we immerse ourselves in the story, we live the story, we experience the story, we are changed in a way that is very different than if we only got the half-page summary at the end. And so as we're wanting to grow in the presence of God, in the unstoppable power of God's spirits, We are looking at the story, and we're growing with the story. And today we are going to be looking at how all of these threads that we've looked at over the past few weeks, how they all come together in one point. And that one point is the person of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to lay down probably one of the most Formative building blocks of our understanding of the Holy Spirit. How all of this comes together in Jesus Christ. And if I kind of stick with the metaphor of TV series. The, the the Jesus episode, the Jesus part of the story, is one of those stories, and is going to be for the rest of our lives one of those episodes that we rewatch and rewatch and rewatch because every single time, and today is just the introduction. Every single time we rewatch the story, we're going to see how there's another thread that comes into Jesus, and there's another part of the story that finds itself in Jesus again. And there's another part of clarity that comes in through Jesus. Another part of the story arc that comes in through Jesus. And here's what I hope happens to us today. I hope, and can we put this picture up on the screen? I hope that happens. Anyone know what that is? What emoji is that? Mind blown. I really hope that the Spirit does something in our hearts and minds. That just expands expands our imagination of God and when I say imagination I don't mean the things we make up in our brains but what I mean is when I think of God my I just have this expanding view in my heart and this expanding view in my mind of who God is that he's bigger to me and more powerful and more amazing and even more worthy of our worship so with God's help That is what we're going to be doing this morning. And so what we're going to be doing, heads up, we're going to be doing more Bible today than I think we've probably ever done in one episode or one sermon here at Riverside. And so we're going to be on a journey. We're going to be cruising at 8,000 revs from the word go. We're going to be just re-looking at some of what we've looked at already and showing how it comes to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. All right, are you ready? Buckle your seatbelts. Let's go. So we're going to start right at the beginning because that's where we started a few weeks ago, reading Genesis 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning, God, so we've got this character, God, created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirits of God, and inverted commas, character number two, the spirits of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, Anyone remember the Hebrew word for spirits? Ruach. All right, Ruach, which is a Hebrew word which can be translated as spirit or breath or wind. And so we in our English language kind of lose the connection. But if we create a bit of a Venn diagram out of spirits, wind and breath, like we did a number of weeks ago, we start to see that the essence of the meaning of this word, it is God's very own life. That is the Ruach of God. And so as we understand that, we've got this strange thing going on here where we've got two, in inverted commas, characters, God and God's Spirit. And yet as we start to understand how even the language helps us know who this God is. We start to see while God and God's spirits are distinct from each other, in another way, they are the same. And the spirit is the essence of God's life. And so we're starting to enter a story. We're starting to enter some tension. We're starting to enter a bit of a puzzle. The next verse says, and God said in the rest of Genesis chapter one is just how creation unfolded as God spoke. But why do I include these two words? And God said, because when we speak, what do we use to speak? We use our breath. And so, if I had to ask you this question if God speaks, God's Spirit is there hovering over creation. And if creation is this God bringing light and life out of darkness and, and order out of chaos, if I had to ask you this question, who did the creating? God or God's spirits? And I'm hoping you're feeling a bit of tension in that question, because it's almost like a a nonsensical question. Because even if you take all we've learned just in the past few minutes, it's kind of a, well, it's it's yes and yes. Because God and God's Spirit are distinct from one another, and yet in a different way are the same. Hold on to that. Now we're going to move to John chapter 1. And John chapter 1 starts off saying, in the beginning. Where have we heard that before? In the beginning, exactly. What John wants you to do is have one Bible open in Genesis chapter 1 and these words open in John chapter 1. And he is retelling the story. But there are going to be some inserts and some changes that he is very intentionally retelling Genesis chapter 1. So how does he say it? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. So once again, we're introduced to this character in inverted commas, known as the Word. Turns out, it's a no-brainer, the Word is Jesus Christ, who even in John 1, 1, is distinct from God and is God. Ha. Huh. That sounds familiar, right? Anyway, he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Remember the question I asked you earlier? Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. Where was life in Genesis 1? In God, and His Spirit, now saying in Jesus. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness. Sound familiar? And the darkness has not overcome it. What we're starting to see is John is trying to communicate to us that Jesus is on one hand in the placeholder of the spirits in Genesis 1 and in the placeholder of Yahweh. Stephen, explain that to me. Well, we're still part of the story. We're still growing with the story, but we're starting to recognize that there's some interplay. That just when I think I'm looking at the Father, I realize I'm looking at the Spirit. Or when I look at the, the Son, I realize I'm looking at the Spirit. And so we've got these three kind of Father, Son, and Spirit who are distinct from one another, and yet are somehow the same. And Jesus is very much... Part of the Genesis 1 story. So let's continue going. The next big passage we looked at a few weeks ago is Genesis 2, verses 7. Now remember, spirit and breath are the same idea. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and what? Breathed. This is not O2 and CO2. This is his own life coming out of himself To form man, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, the very essence of God's own life, and the man became a living being. As I've said a number of times already in this series, what is man but dust plus divine breath? So we've got this picture that because God himself and God's spirits is the source of life, now God breathes into the dust and he is animating the dust and creating humanity, thus generating just a beautiful relationship of dependence between us and God's life or God's spirits. Then a number of weeks after that, we looked at this prophecy in Ezekiel 37, which came centuries later just brief historical context Ezekiel is speaking at a time after the nation of Israel was in the promised land after the nation was formed after the kings came and went and after just on repeat for centuries Israel chose their own way rather than God's way their own wisdom rather than God's wisdom their own ability to create rather than God's spirits and eventually God gave them what they wanted which was to remove his spirits and to send his people into exile. And so Ezekiel is now speaking of a future time, but he is speaking to these people who are starting to realize just where they are and why they are there. And Ezekiel 37 gives us this famous prophecy of the valley of dry bones. And this is what. We read in verse 5, this is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath. It is the word ruach. I will make breath. I will make spirit enter you and you will come to life. Now, two weeks ago, we drew the connection between this and Genesis 2 verses 7. Because they both speak of... God breathing His breath, His Ruach, into humanity. Genesis 2 verse verse 7 is humanity 1.0. Ezekiel 37 is humanity 2.0. A rebirth of humanity. All right, a a, a new humanity, a new man. So how does this unfold? But before we do that, just briefly, as we think about Genesis 2.7, Ezekiel 37, who's doing the breathing? God, and what is bringing about the animation, God's spirits, God's own life. Now we get to a verse that has its own series of rabbit holes, but we've got a very cryptic verse in John chapter 20, verses 22, where Jesus is with his disciples, and he says this, And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. I know some of you have pondered that verse. What does it mean? How does it relate to Acts 2? Let's just pause on that. Let's just see that what Jesus is doing is very intentional. Jesus is taking Genesis 2 verses 7, but he's putting himself in the position of Yahweh. And he is breathing God's Spirit. And he is, in fact, fulfilling Ezekiel 37 by creating a new humanity and putting the Spirit of God into those who would call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. Now we're just getting started here, because last week Craig spoke about God's presence in God's people. And by the way, if this is just sounding way too much, all of our resources are available on YouTube and our um, and our website and the podcasts. But last week Craig spoke about how in Exodus we've got the presence of God leading the people of Israel with the pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire and he also introduced us to another tension another part of the story that's got us scratching our heads where sometimes the presence of God is referred to as the angel of the Lord it's like who's that and sometimes this presence of God is referred to as the presence of Yahweh So once again, we've got this angel of the Lord, the presence of Yahweh with God's people. They are distinct from each other and yet mysteriously seem to be the same being. Then we see in just one of the books that I doubt many of you have memorized many verses from. It's the book of Jude written by Jesus' brother. And um, it's a single chapter and Jude is speaking into these uh, churches that we're experiencing, a bunch of false teachers. And so just understand that. We're not going to go really down there. But listen to Jude chapter 4. Sorry, verse 4. There's only one chapter in Jude. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. These are the false teachers. There are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into license for immorality and deny. Here's the part I want you to focus on. Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. The only reason why I read the first part is to give you a full sentence. But that last phrase, according to this verse, who is identified as our only sovereign and Lord? Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lord in verse 4. Now let's read verse 5. The very next verse. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord, who is the Lord? Jesus at one time delivered his people out of Egypt. But later destroyed those who did not believe, which in the story of Exodus is the angel of the Lord. Can you see that Judy is placing Jesus in the placeholder, once again, of both the angel of the Lord and of Yahweh, the presence of God with his people, leading them out of slavery into freedom. And then Craig spoke about the tabernacle, The tabernacle being that time of the wanderings as God's people were going through the deserts and heading towards the promised land. But for a number of years, they had to have this temporary structure known as the tabernacle. And it had to be made according to all these uh, prerequisites. And it was beautiful. But it really became the place that housed God's physical, tangible presence in a really mysterious but very real way. And God's presence was there in the tabernacle. Once again, leading God's people. Go to John chapter 1, verses 14. The Word, we've already known, identified the Word as Jesus. He became flesh and made His dwelling among us. There's something lost in English here. The word dwelling in Greek, which is what it was written in at that time, is literally the word tabernacle. Jesus Coming to us in flesh is exactly what God was doing in the tabernacle, in the book of Exodus. And in case we miss it, John says, But we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Then Craig spoke to us about the temple. The temple was the permanent structure set up centuries later in Jerusalem. But when the tabernacle was finished and when the temple was finished, God's glorious presence invaded with fire and with wind. And so the temple was the place where the Israelites would go and offer sacrifices and experience the tangible presence and glorious presence of God. What does John say in John chapter 2, verses nineteen to 20? Jesus answered them, speaking to his disciples, destroy this temple, pointing to the very real temple in front of him. And I will raise it again in three days. And well, now they're scratching their heads. They're confused. They replied, but it took us 46 years to build a temple. and You're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body where Jesus is saying, I am the temple. I hope that you're feeling the momentum that's building. Another key passage we looked at a number of weeks ago, Isaiah 11 verses 1 to 3, where Isaiah says, once again, looking into the future, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. What is a stump? It's a tree that's been cut down. The stump representing the nation of Israel that because of their sin has been cut down and are in exile. But what sometimes happens when you cut a stump down is that it grows in new shoots. And so Isaiah is predicting that from the line of David, from the line of Jesse, Jesse was David's father, a shoot will come. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him the spirits of wisdom and of understanding, the spirits of counsel and of might, the spirits of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Just by the way, there are seven descriptors given to the spirits of God in this passage. This is what Revelation refers to as a so-called sevenfold Spirit of God. But what is Isaiah saying? He's saying out of this death, out of kind of Israel being in exile and wondering what's going to go on, There is going to come someone known as the branch. He's going to come from the line of David and he's going to become so full. Just by the way, the number seven in Scripture is just this idea of perfection and it is this idea that's connected with the full, complete presence of God. So this stump from the line of David is going to be so filled and so saturated with the presence of God in a way that none other has been. So they're looking forward to this time. Now between the time of writing and the time of Jesus, this became one of those passages that every Jew knew about. Because they started realizing that we're looking forward to this figure known as, Messiah, in Hebrew, the word Mashiach literally means anointed one. The one filled with God's spirits. This figure, who is the anointed one? Who is the Messiah going to be? Old Testament written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Greek. The Greek version of the word Messiah or Mashiach is the word Christos, Christ. So when Peter says to Jesus in Matthew 16, verses 16, you are the Messiah. Some of your translations say you are the Christ. Tomato, tomato, same thing. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. Or When Paul calls Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ is not His surname. When we call Jesus, Jesus Christ, we are saying He is the the branch from Isaiah 11. There are other passages we could look at, but we are saying he is the long-awaited anointed one, the one filled with the spirits of God in a perfect, glorious, ever-saturated way. And so I'm hoping that you're starting to see, and I'm going to kind of stop there for now. We've got a few more passages. But can you see that every single thread between Craig and I that we've looked at over the past few weeks, concerning the spirits of God and concerning the presence of God finds its way in fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so as we summarize, Jesus is distinct from and at the same time somehow the creative presence and spirits of God in creation. Jesus is the angel of the Lord who is also the physical presence of Yahweh. Jesus is the one who breathes the life of Yahweh into his disciples. Jesus is the tabernacle. Jesus is the glorious presence of God in the temple. And Jesus is also the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who is fully saturated with the perfect, complete, glorious presence and breath of God. And I just hope something in our mind is going. This, by the way, is why you can never separate Jesus from the Spirit of God. It's very common 2,000 years later in certain traditions to say, well, Jesus I like, God's Spirit, meh. We just aren't allowed to do that. I understand why. But as we see how the story gets told and fulfilled in the person of Jesus, we just don't get to do that. Because Jesus is the presence of God. Jesus is the one who is filled with the spirits of God. And I'm also hoping that you're seeing just why it's been so important for us to go and immerse ourselves into the story and see how the story gets told, including some of these tensions, you know, Yahweh, the spirit of God, Yahweh, the angel of the Lord. You see, I could show you this final slide the one before this. And and that is beautifully and gloriously true. But it is so different if we've been along for the ride and seen the story unfold and just gloriously come together in Jesus Christ. And so there's this beautiful, glorious, mysterious relationship that we're invited to ponder. But even more importantly, we are invited to partake in. This is not just for our minds. This is for our hearts. This is not just for data. This is for us to be brought into the story in an even more glorious and wonderful way. And that's what the final passage for today is about. A passage that we haven't looked at yet. A passage that I... I'm going to read just a, a number of verses from here. Once again, the prophet Ezekiel speaking to the exiles. Remember, God's presence has left the temple. The temple's been destroyed. He's looking for a future time. And this is what he describes. This is, he's having a bit of a, a vision. And in Ezekiel 47, this is the experience of his vision. The man, some sort of angelic figure in his vision, the man brought me back to the entrance to the temple. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. The source of the water is the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside, to the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from the south side. So this water is becoming this little stream. As the man went eastward with the measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. And he measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross. Because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. And so Ezekiel is looking forward to the time where out of the altar of the temple, coming under the threshold of the temple is this eternal source of life. And in fact, these are the verses I'm not going to read. What unfolds in this vision is that as this river eventually makes its way to the Dead Sea, I've been there, some of you have been there. Literally nothing can live in the Dead Sea. In this vision, this water makes its way into the Dead Sea and makes the salty sea fresh, bringing life to death. This new life-giving Dead Sea becomes a source of life and there are fishes and and, and there are food being given to the nations around it. Oh, and by the way, there's these trees on the side of, of this river and of these seas. And these trees are fruitful and they are always in season and their leaf does not wither. Does that sound familiar to anyone at all? So Are you with me with this picture? There's this source of life coming out from the heart of the temple, out of the temple, flowing into what is dead, making it alive and bringing abundant life to all who depend on that water. Hold that in your mind. John chapter 7, finding its fulfillment in Jesus. John 7 verses 37 to 39. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood. By the way, this is where He's standing. In the temple, Jesus stood and He said in a loud voice, in the temple, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Oh, is Jesus the water boy? Uh Uh-uh. Jesus has something very different in mind. Remember, we've already, John has already shown us that Jesus is the tabernacle. Jesus is the temple. Now He's saying, come to me and drink. Well, what do you mean, Jesus? Verse 38, whoever believes in me as Scripture has said, Rivers of living water will flow from within them. Well, where did Jesus get that idea from? Ezekiel 47. In other words, if we come to Jesus, we believe in who He is and we drink from Him we will receive His life-giving water. In other words, we will receive His Spirit and we in turn will become a source of life to people around us. And in case you missed it, verse 39, by this, He meant the spirits, whom those who believed in Him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirits had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So here's where it becomes very real to us where we start to realize if we want anything that we've been looking at over the past few weeks, where do we go for that? Where do we go to experience the life of God, the Spirit of God who brings order out of chaos and light and life out of darkness? Where do we go this, this river in Ezekiel 37 that brings life to death? and abundant life to all those who depend on this water, where do we go? And the answer is Jesus. The answer has always been Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of every single metaphor and every single image that we've looked at, every single part of the narrative, everything concerning God's power and presence. Jesus is the one to whom we come, which once again shows us that we can't go, I like Jesus, not his spirits. If we want the life of God, we come to Jesus to drink. Yeah, 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 but Stephen, I've seen some re- really really weird things, you know, in the name of the Spirit. Just press pause on that, please. If we just, remember, we're, we're growing with the story. If we want God's life, God's Spirit, it is Jesus to whom we come to drink. He is the one who imparts the life to us. To use the metaphor of John 20, he is the one who breathes life into us. Now, church, if ever there was a time that we are so in need of God's life, it is now. Man, whether we think about what, what COVID did to us and our families and our businesses, whether we think about our nation or the world, or whether we think about local politics, global politics, whether we just think about some of the the tensions and the difficulties that we experience because we live in a broken world, whether we even reflect on just how even dead religion can be, In inverted commas, doing the right thing, but without the fruits of life. We need God's life. We need something of the divine in us. We can't depend on the world. We can't even depend on religion. We have to depend on the life of God. We need the life of God. Our kids need the life of God. Our families need the life of God. We cannot live without it. Now, 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 now please don't come to me and say, Stephen, but, but we did that last week. For those of you who are here, listen, how often do you drink water once a week? (laughs) <laughs> some of you you know Stephen I've studied some theology you know, and I was taught in theology and now we're jumping ahead into the new testament you know I've learned in theology that when I trust Jesus I'm sealed with his Spirit and I'm given the spirits of God and so I'm done well you know what that is a beautiful glorious truth but here's my question do you depend on the life of God's spirit in you like oxygen like water this presence of god that is available to you are you experiencing that life are you depending on that life do you come to jesus and freely drink of his life because that is what today is about and so i'm going to ask if Ronnie, if you can come up on the keys and maybe dolls on the guitar and maybe Jules and Rob's. I want to invite us to respond. And as I was praying this morning, a few thoughts came to mind and the one was I've already mentioned it, that we should never be satisfied with the presence of God that we've experienced up to a certain point in life. Because there's always more of God to know and there's always more of God to experience. Just like we come to rely on the life-giving quality of water in our lives, we should never abandon coming to God. The second thought I had was thinking about a story in Ezekiel 47. Maybe you say, you know, Stephen, I I have experienced God in such wonderful ways recently well how about inviting in prayer God's Spirit to flow into new places today into places that maybe you're ashamed of how about inviting God into the dead places remember God's Spirit flows into the dead sea bringing life how about inviting God's Spirit into the dry places And so I want to invite us to respond to Jesus. This isn't me. There's nothing magical about the space in front of me, but maybe if you can stand with me. And let's just engage in prayer. Jesus' opening words in John 7 was, if anyone is thirsty, I think a starting point for every single one of us is to say, Lord, I'm thirsty. Lord, I've realised that the things of this world don't satisfy. And I've tried. I've tried the joys of this world and the pleasures of this world and there can be gifts to us. But Lord, I need a greater source of life. I'm thirsty. And maybe you just know it. Just your soul is so barren right now. So just in your heart, with with maybe your hands raised up, just as a a posture of being open towards Jesus. Just acknowledging with absolute desperation, and truth, I'm thirsty, God. I'm thirsty you know Jesus says whoever believes in me and so there's got to be a sense in our hearts of actually believing where Jesus you are you are the son of God you are the source of life you are the one who represents the presence of God to me You're the one who gives the gift of God's presence to me. You're the only one I can come to for that. This isn't a debate about the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. And what about other world religions? This is just simply the truth that Jesus is the point where we come to in order to receive the gift of God's Spirit. And the life-giving presence of God's grace. Maybe at some level just recognizing, Jesus, I come to you to drink. In other words, I choose to receive what you have to give me. I'm now convinced that you are the source of life. So I come to you. Stephen, what does it mean now to drink? Well, Jesus, I, I want to receive your life, I want to receive what you want to give me the very life of God, the very essence of your own life, God, the Spirit of God, the power of God. So, Lord, fill me anew today. I want to receive my daily bread again today. But, Lord, today I want to ask you to go into those dead places and to go into those dry places in my heart and my life. And I want to invite you in and I'm going to surrender myself. And just as that water flows into the land and bringing life to every dry crack and every part of that dead sea, Jesus, would you respond as we come to you in faith this morning? And church, we're going to sing just part of that song. What a beautiful name. We're going to be looking at Jesus, the source of our life. And and maybe as we sing, as part of your response, maybe you just choose to, again, there's nothing magical about this, but as a sign of your commitment, maybe you get on your knees, maybe you come forward, but let us not be found static and stagnant. So let's look to Jesus in worship and then we'll continue from there.